when I heard that he's uh, started preaching as well. When I heard that, I, you know, kind of our deal has been that I'll preach if he sings, but um, he can preach all day, but I'm not singing from up here. I'm telling you that. <laughs> I love to sing as long as I can be safely in my, uh, in my seat. Good deal. Oh, it is incredible to be here with you guys. I'm Phil Payne, and my uh, family is sitting back here, too. This is my wife and the green Elizabeth. I think a lot of you know that. And our children, that little blonde guy, he's ours, too. Um, doesn't always look like that, but this summer, just having fun, and it, uh, it grows out. It's a good thing, huh? Real good thing. Um, we are, are privileged to be back here. We live and work in Quito, Ecuador, uh, working with uh, international youth ministry is what we're doing. We're doing hands-on youth ministry in English and in Spanish. And we're also teaching and training on youth ministry. Um, I have shared with you before, when you get outside the United States, um, youth ministry in a lot of places just doesn't exist. And so it's our privilege after a number of years here in California, um, working in a, a couple different churches in youth ministry of Moving to Quito about five years ago. Hard to believe it's been five years, but it has uh, that we've been down there. And teaching and training on youth ministry and also uh, hosting a whole bunch of short-term mission trips that come down and our opportunity to connect the body of Christ here in the United States with the body of Christ in uh, South America. So we are we're having a great time. Lord's blessing ministry and um, our family uh, continues to grow in a lot of ways. If you've seen them today, they're, they're taking off and they're doing, doing wonderful We've been back here in California since the beginning of June. We actually came in on the 7th of June and have been up at a place called Hume Lake Christian Camp. Uh, It's a large Christian camp, kind of about an hour east of Fresno, up in the mountains. And a part of uh, Hume, along with just doing an amazing job um, in bringing people to Christ through camping, kind of their heart is evangelism and discipleship and missions. And they want to challenge the students and the adults, uh, the leaders, the churches that come to camp on a weekly basis, they see about 1,700 campers a week that come through that camp between their high school and their junior high and their elementary um, school camps. And really they want to challenge them to walk with the Lord, to come to Christ, to walk with the Lord in discipleship, and then really think about serving God with everything we have. And part of that is thinking about the world. And so they uh, invited us to come in and be their missionaries in residence for the summer. And it's been our privilege to be there over the last seven weeks, uh, sharing every morning uh, about from God's Word and challenging students to, uh, to really think about um, God as a global God. You know, I know for me, growing up here in California, just grew up just over the hill, for God so loved the world, well, that, that was kind of Lake Tahoe to San Diego. You know, that was sort of, uh, that was sort of my world. And, and, you know, we serve a global God. We serve a huge God who wants us to think about the entire world. And so just a real privilege over this last summer to have been at Hume Lake. And uh, we rolled down from there yesterday. And it's great to be with you this morning. If you've got a Bible, I'd like you to open it to Isaiah chapter 43. And that's where we're going to be this morning. And I've uh, asked my son Logan to come up and read those verses for us. Isaiah 43.
But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by, my, by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Sebar in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you, and people in exchange for your life. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant who I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. going to be zeroing in on Isaiah 43 this morning. Um, Adel, when we talked, asked me if I would come and share a series with you on walking with God. And so it uh, will just be, again, our privilege to be here over the next couple of nights. We'll be talking out of Isaiah 43 this morning. I'm really understanding the big picture, hopefully. Tomorrow uh, evening we'll be talking about growing our faith and, and the process. Tuesday night be coming out of Mark chapter 12, and, and a man who came up to Jesus, had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus says to him, you know what, you're close. You are close to the kingdom of God. And that's a scary place to be. Scary place to be to be close, but not a part of the kingdom of God. And so we'll be talking about that on Tuesday night, and then on Wednesday, talking really about what it means to be a, a fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. So I do hope that... Um, as schedule and time allows for you, that you'll be out with us the next couple of nights. Let's pray together, and then we'll jump in Isaiah 43. Lord, thank you again for this morning. Thank you that you are here. Thank you that you have given us the truth of your word. And Lord, we know right now that apart from your word, apart from your spirit, that life change is not possible. So, Lord, thank you that it's here in our hands and our laps sitting with us. Thank you that your spirit is here in this room. And so we just invite him to speak. Again, Lord, not just so we can be challenged, but so we can be changed and be more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. It was uh, a fairly normal day for me in a sense that we often have groups down with us that experience missions on a short-term basis. We see a whole bunch of groups that come down, predominantly from the United States, and, and they come and we host them on our side in Quito, Ecuador. And this day, this group was headed to the city dump. The city dump for us is about five, six miles as a crow flies from where we live, but a very, very different place. For us, we take the trash in our house and we put them out on the curb and we... Uh, as soon as we put our trash down, there are people that are right there on our street and they come and, and they open up the trash bags and they go through it. This is stuff that we've decided in our house we don't want anymore or it's broken or we don't have any further use for it and so it's trash. We, we, you, we know that. You put trash out in your house. But as soon as we stick it out on the curb, there are a group of people who come and, and what they're doing is they're looking for anything they can eat or wear or sell or recycle. 
And they come and they pick through the trash. As soon as they're done, they tie it back up and what's left over goes on the curb. A, a garbage truck rolls through a little while later and our neighborhood picks it up and, and they grab the trash and before they throw it in the truck, they look at it as well. It goes in the truck and they haul it out to the, the city dump a little bit outside of Quito. Before it gets to the city dump, there's some recyclers there, and the recyclers will come out, and they'll get some of the things out of the trash, and then eventually the trash that left my house and many others like it reached the city dump. We have a ministry out there. We take groups out. We come alongside an Ecuadorian pastor who's teaching, teaching literacy, providing for the people who live out there. Anywhere from three to 500 people live in the city dump. I was getting ready that day with a short-term team, and I was prepping them for what we were going to do that day. I, I did an orientation with them, told them the big picture, kind of told them what we were going to be doing, that we would go from our office where they were, and we were going to go to a, a market, and we'd buy some, some fruit, some produce, some bread, and we were going to take that out, and we were going to give it away. We're also taking some water with us, some shampoo, some towels, some scissors, and, and we would wash hair and, and, and bathe. Allow people to bathe if they want to and, and get their hair cut. And this is a ministry that we do on a fairly regular basis. And we took a team out and I took them out that day. Thought it was fairly routine for me. But as I got out there and as we began to, to, to get off the bus and people started to come, they, they know who we are. And so they come and they, they get in line. And they get in line to come and get some of the, the produce, the, the bread, the cheese, whatever we have. And people are lining up, and I'm greeting them and saying hi, translating a little bit. Some people over here setting up to begin to wash hair. About that time, this line is here receiving food from us. A couple trash trucks roll in and start to dump their load. And I'm standing there, and I watch the people that are in line begin the process of making a decision up in their head. Am I going to stay here in line and receive this food, or am I going to run over there and pick through the trash? And I watch, and I watch them look at us, look over there, and all of a sudden they leave the line, a handful of them to run over and pick through the trash. And a couple of things hit me right there in that moment that, that really just smacked me. One is, is, is what, what do I run to? What, what, what do I run to? What, what causes me to run in my life? To get in line somewhere, get excited about something. These people are leaving a line where they can receive food and they're running over to pick through the trash so they don't miss anything over there. Another thing that smacked me right there is, that, you know, so many times that's what I do. I get out of line when God's giving me something rich. And I run after trash. But I think the big thing that hit me that day and right then is, you know what, Lord, what, why, why didn't I grow up here? What, why, why isn't this home for me? I, we've been out to the dump many times. I've met three generations of people that were born there, that grew up there, that married there, had their children there. Parents are still there. I, I was standing there in the Quito City dump and asking that question, why? Why, why didn't I grow up here? 
But why, why did I grow up in Fremont? Both my parents, you know, IBMers, and we, we had everything we needed. Good vacation and, you know, drove a car. It's just to have a car puts us in the top 9% of the world. 9% of the world drives a car. And I'm hit with that big question, that big picture question. God, why? What is this all about? Why, why isn't this where Phil grew up? Why did I grow up in California? Why have you given me all that you've given me? I wonder if, if you ever asked that question. Maybe you've traveled, maybe you've seen poverty, maybe you, you, you've seen some, a show or something that moved you to ask that question. What, what is it all about? Why am I really here? As we begin a series in thinking about walking with God, I, I think we have to ask that question. I think we have to take a step back and, and ask ourselves, you know what, God, in, in the midst of all of this, walking with you, what, what's the big picture? What is it all about? Why am I here? I think we need to ask that question. But not only is the right question important, we need to ask it in the right place. Because we can ask that question, what is life all about? Why am I here? And we can ask and look in the mirror and we can ask ourselves that question, what is life all about? And when we ask the mirror, when we ask ourselves, really it comes back, it's about me, isn't it? It's about what I can accomplish or what I can look like. If we turn and ask our culture, what is life all about? Why are you here? You're going to hear some of the similar response, aren't you? Well, we might even talk about the American dream. That we go to school and get good grades so that you can go to college and you, you do well in college so you can get a good job. And you get a good job so you can get lots of stuff and you get lots of stuff so you can put them in storage containers. Right? You get lots of stuff so that we can retire and we retire so we can sit on the porch and live the good life. Some of us are asking, where is that good life? If we ask our culture that question, it, it, it really comes back with the American dream, but I'm not convinced that's God's dream. And so this morning, with your Bibles open to Isaiah 43, we need to ask that question, what is it all about? Why am I here? To the only person who can answer it. And that's God. Look at verse 1. He tells us right away. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. And look down in verse 4. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you. That's what God says this morning. Ask me that question, what it's all about. I created you. I formed you, I redeemed you, I called you by name, and I love you. God has your best interest at heart. And when we ask this question, what is it all about? God says, I want to answer it. I want you to understand what you were always created to be. Look with me in verse 10. He says right here in verse 10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. 
and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. He says to us right here, You are my witnesses, my servant whom I am chosen, so that three things can happen. You can know me, you can believe me, and you can understand that I am He. I'm God. There's nothing before me, nothing after me. When we asked the question this morning, what is it all about? When I stood in the city dump, when you have been in the quiet moment, maybe your car, maybe an experience that you've had where you say, what is it all about? God comes back and says, this is what it's all about. You are my witnesses. First of all, to know me. To know me. Not just know about me, but to know me personally. There are two words in the the Spanish language for know. Anybody ever take Spanish in school? There are two words. Students right now are cringing, going, oh no, Spanish class. <laughs> two words in, in Spanish. One is saber, and that's to know factual. And the other is conocer, to know intimately, personally. And a lot of us treat God as if we're supposed to saber, know about Him. And a lot of times in our Christian education, that's the way it happens. We get our little guys and we train them up and we, we take them to Sunday school or to Awana or to youth group and they learn all kinds of factual knowledge. And God says factual knowledge is not a bad thing, but it's really worthless if it's not put together with intimate relationship with Him. Saber is, is to know facts. It's as if someday some of us live that we're going to walk into heaven and sit down and God's going to say, welcome, please pull out a number two pencil. And please sit down at the desk and, and please fill in the bubbles completely because, you know, the heavenly scantron, it's the same problem they have here on earth if you don't fill in the bubbles. Right? We treat God that way, that please welcome, pull out your number two pencil, answer all the right questions. If you get everything right, you're welcome in. And God says, no. No, he says it's not about saber, knowledge. It's about conocer, intimate relationship. See, I can say, yo conozco my wife, my children. I know them intimately. And God says, this is why you were created. To know Him intimately. To know Him in a personal relationship. I wonder this morning if that would be true about your life. We have a lot of knowledge up here. And when the surveys go out in the United States about, is this a Christian nation? And it comes back 70, 80, 85% sometimes. This is what people get confused. Being a Christian is not about knowing about God up in your head. In fact, there's a scary chapter in Matthew chapter 7. You read it sometime, Matthew chapter 7. At the end of all time, Jesus is separating those that will spend eternity in heaven and eternity in hell. He calls them the sheep and the goats, and he's separating those that will spend eternity away from him. And some of those people, just before they go, say, but but wait a second. We we did all kinds of cool things in your name. We preached sermons for you. We drove out demons for you. We healed people for you. And Jesus says to them in Matthew 7, away from me, I never knew you. You evildoers. 
And man, we look at that passage and say, well, what was evil about what they did? It was about them. It wasn't about their relationship with Jesus. First off, God says we were created to know him. For me, that was eight years old, driving down the freeway, coming from Hayward back to Fremont. was with my dad. We were coming home from church one night. And dad said, you know what, do you, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? He said, yeah, I, I know a lot about God. I didn't ask you if you knew a lot about God. Do you know him as your Savior? I've been to Sunday school just about every day of my life. I had every attendance pin you could, you could get. I won every contest for bringing a friend and everything else. But dad reminded me, you know, it's not about that. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? that's why you were created. Number two, he says, you know what? You were created to believe me. Believe me. Literally, that means to take God at his word right here. To take him at his word. Do you really understand the Bible? It's not, it's not a book of rules. It's, it's not a manual. It's not a history book. It's a love story. It's a love story about God's desire for you and I to walk with him. And he's given us his word, and he's given it to us so that we can take him at his word, believe him. This word belief right here implies action on my part. Again, it's not just something where I say, well, I I know Jesus is my Savior, and he's my personal Savior, and this is my personal faith. Well, I hear that a lot. I'm not sure we were ever intended to have personal, private faith. I sure don't see that in Jesus' life. I sure don't see that in the followers. It was very public faith. It was very public. Yes, one-on-one, you need to reach a point where you give your heart, your life to Jesus. One-on-one. But sometimes we treat our faith as if we come to Christ and we put it in our pocket and it's good for us and my eternity is set. And I don't have to do anything about it or with it. And he says here that you were created to believe me. It implies action, that I take what I'm learning, I take what is in God's Word, and I put it into practice. In between my junior and senior year in high school, I had the privilege of taking a short-term trip. And I spent that summer in the jungle in South America. I was down with some Wycliffe missionaries. And they were translating God's word and they were going out into tribes and they were coming back into this place called Limoncocho where I was at. And they were taking the notes and all the research they'd been doing. They would come back and then they would spend time translating God's word into native language. I spent a couple months on that base right there just basically working for them, doing construction and carpentry and painting and plumbing, whatever I could do to serve them while they were translating God's word. had an incredible time. Incredible time, couple months of doing that, running around the jungle, you know, 17-year-old. I'd get off work at night and, and jump on a little motorcycle that, that one of the guys allowed me to use. I would, one of the people we were staying with had a monkey. It was awesome. I'd open the cage door at the end of the work and the monkey would come running across the grass and jump on my shoulder and we'd go exploring. Just having a blast. One day, one of the missionaries who was working with some agricultural projects said, you know what, I, I want to take the cattle that I have, and we're trying to introduce them into a tribe. And, and we have to push them through the jungle, and, you know, they're not going to be excited about that. It's hot, and, and so we're just going to have to kind of continue to push them. I need some help, and would you help me do that? 
Say, you know, it sounds like an adventure to me. I'm in. And so we took off the next day and we had a handful of cattle and, and we were pushing them through the jungle on this trail. And sure enough, they would just come to a point where they would sit down and we would, you know, push them and prod them, do whatever we could to get these, these cows into the tribe. Took a water bottle with me and, and about, you know, a couple hours into it, it was this missionary and myself and then it was one of the, the native guys from the tribe who was leading us. Well, a couple hours into our hike, I've got my water bottle and, you know, I've been drinking it and all of a sudden it's empty and I'm, you know, kind of looking around and he sees me and, and he sees my water bottle and he kind of motions, you know, would you, and I, we didn't speak the same language, but sure, I gave him my water bottle. He took off, came back later and it was full. And he gave it to me and I drank it. And this went on a couple times throughout the day, you know, he'd take our, our stuff and, and, and he'd take my water bottle. Go fill it up, bring it back, and I would drink it. We are having a great time. We got to close to the afternoon, and we reached the tribe. And as we reached the tribe, we got there, and, and just before we were going to enter the tribe, there was a stream right here. And what I noticed about the stream is that it was disgusting. You know, moss and rocks and dirt and all sorts of stuff. And then I looked over at our friend, who was the native Indian guiding us, and he's leaning over, and he's drinking it. And he motions for me, you know, come drink this. I'm like, I would never drink that. That's disgusting. And then I looked at my water bottle and I looked at the stream and I looked at him and he kind of went, yeah. And I, I had one of those moments where I went, uh-oh. Ooh, I'm in trouble. And trouble for me lasted about two and a half days. You know, I took off, we got the cattle in there, I took off down the trail and made it back to the place I was staying as a missionary pilot named Al Meehan. And, you know, you, you've been sick like that, maybe. You, you just, I reached my bed and, you know, I just got back to the house and collapsed and I was feeling horrible and you kind of just, ah. Oh. And then you go, oh, oh, I, oh, and you just sprint, you know, for the bathroom. And two and a half days I was sick like that. Brutal sick. There was nothing inside of me that did not come out. I mean, I was, it was bad. Bad. About a day and a half into that, I'm laying in a hammock. That's about what I went between the hammock and the, and the restroom. About a day and a half in at Al Meehan, who I was staying with, missionary pilot comes, and he, he asked one of those rhetorical questions. How you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm doing great, Al. And he noticed that I had my Bible there, and he said to me, you know what, maybe this is why God brought you to Ecuador. Maybe this is why God brought you here this summer. So what are you talking about? He said to Phil, do you really believe what's in here enough to give your life to it? He said, you know what, there are only two things besides God himself that last forever. God's word and people. That is it. Phil, do you really believe that? He looked at me and he said, you know, I've, I've seen you running around this summer. I see you doing a lot of cool things. Came down here in God's name and, and that's awesome. But do you really believe his word? Enough to wrap your life around it? Not just to have knowledge, but to live it out. And I would ask you the same question this morning. Do you really believe what's in here? 
And that has very little to do with what we know about up here. But we look at Scripture and, and, and you know, we, we see John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And, and we say, I believe that. Absolutely. And we've heard all our lives that if you were the only person and Jesus died for you and, and you need Him as your Savior, we say, I believe that. For by grace you've been saved through faith. I believe that. But then I see something that says, you know what, do not, do not worry about anything, but, but pray about everything. I, I don't know, God, I'm, I'm a pretty good worrier. I, I, I practice that semi-regularly. Judge, I really believe that? And the peace of God will comfort my heart and my mind? I see a verse that says, be holy as I am holy. God, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't see a lot of holy people around me. I read Matthew 28 that says, As you are going, make disciples of all nations, and baptize them, baptize and teaching them. Do I really believe that? We read that verse in Matthew 28 and we get all caught up about Go. Okay, just a, a quick lesson for us this morning. The, the command in the verse is not go. It's not even a command. It, it actually reads, as you are going. Location, I'm really not positive, is all that important to God. It's as you are going, make disciples. That's the command. But too many times, if we're honest, we treat it as a multiple choice question. Oh, I, I can't make disciples. That's somebody else's job. And we treat our responsibility as Christians and saying, do I really believe the truth of Scripture? That's a multiple choice question. But we, we say things like this, well, I'm, I'm not really called. You know, I, I, it's, it's just not for me. It was written a long time ago. I'm not sure that applies to me. I, I, I just don't feel called. I remember at 16 years old, 16, the day I got my driver's license, I got pulled over for a speeding ticket in Fremont. It was a bad day. I was going to work. I was in a 35. Police officer pulls me over, you know, steps up to the window, says, you know, sir, son, I, I clocked you at 53. Say, can I see your license? I didn't even have a hard copy. I had the paper. I said, you know, pull this thing out. I'm shaking. And he takes it. He takes the registration. He disappears. Sits in his car for a while. You know, I'm 16. It's, it's one day I've had my license. Thinking, my dad's going to kill me. <laughs> you know, the longer he's sitting in his car, you, 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 just, you just think of more stuff that's, that go wrong. He finally comes back and, and as if he didn't know, said, how old are you, son? Sixteen. He said, you know what? Um, he hands me the paper that's all folded over. He says, um, would a warning be sufficient for you today? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And then he said, you know what? I work this neighborhood all the time. I don't ever want to see you here again. 
Sir, I don't even like this neighborhood, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm on the other side of town. What was the problem? The problem was it was posted 35 miles an hour. 16-year-old Phil says, well, ah, it doesn't apply to me. I'm going to do 53. I get pulled over. Now, let me ask you this. If I went back to that same street today, ripped 53 again, and he pulled me over, said, what are you doing? Could I say to him, I, I just didn't think it applied to me. That was back when I was 16. Come on, I'm 39 now. And too many times we treat God's Word exactly like that. We look at Matthew 28 and say, you know what? As you are going, make disciples of all nations. And we say, somehow that doesn't apply to me. And I think God says the exact thing to us that that police officer would say to me. It does apply. That's what's expected of you. That's what's expected of me. The question is not whether we're going to make disciples or not. The question is, do I believe Scripture or not? We say we believe it. Does it show up in our lives? Just for a second. Think to yourself, if you were the only Christian on this planet. Just think for a second. There are six billion people live on planet Earth. And just for a second, let's assume you're the only Christian here. You're it. Six billion, you're a Christian. How in the world would you reach the planet? If you were to commit yourself to say, you know what, I believe Scripture, and as I'm going, I will lead one person to Christ over the next year. One person. And I'll disciple that person, meet with them, teach them about God's Word. Teach them that that really what we read, we need to put into practice. I'll walk with them over the next year. So for the next year, you lead one person to Jesus, and you walk with them and disciple them for a year. And at the end of those 12 months, you would say, you know what? Now, here's the deal. I'm going to lead someone else to Christ. You lead another person to Christ, and we have a year to do it. Can we look at this going, okay, this, this is not that difficult. One year, one person. Bring them to Christ, teach them, with the expectation that over the next year, we're both going to do the same thing. And so at the end of two years, you've led your second person to Christ, discipled them, and this guy over here that you led to Christ last year, he's led someone to Christ and discipled their person. So now at the end of two years, how many Christians do we have? We have four. Okay, it's getting off to a slow start. Still got a lot of people on the planet here. But you realize then at the end of those years, you say, okay, these two, let's have the same expectation, these two, same expectation. Now we get to the end of that year, and now we've got four four, now we're up to eight. You know how long it would take us to reach the planet? 34 years. Six billion people. And at the end of 34 years, you say, well, you know, people are still having children. Let's just assume that the planet has increased by another two billion. That would be generous. We'd reach those additional two billion in less than six months. Because of the power of multiplication and the power of the gospel. The question for us that we have to think about. What is it all about? Why am I here? I was created to know Jesus, but not as a private faith that I tuck in my pocket. No, Jesus said to the disciples, you know what? Guys, I've been with you three years and I'm going back. And they begin to hit the panic button a little bit and say, wait, you're taking off. Well, what about us? And he said, you know what? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. 
So as you are going, make disciples of all nations. Teach them, baptize them. Do for them what I've done for you. Acts 1, 8, a little bit later, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And he says, you will be my witnesses. Here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And we again, we get all wrapped around that. Oh, that was the hometown. And, and then out and out and out. None of them were from Jerusalem. That's not the point. Jesus has said, you know what? Start where you're at. Start wherever you are at. And I don't know if you've ever considered this. But Jesus said to those 11 guys, you know what? You're my plan A, and I don't have plan B. I don't. It's you. And as you interact with each other, people are going to know that you belong to me. And then as you interact, interact with them, tell them about me. And I am so glad that those 11 guys did their job. Because that's why you and I have the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Because those guys did their job. Isaiah said, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant, so that you may know me, conocer intimately, but so you may believe me. Believe is to put God's word into practice. How are you doing at putting God's word into practice? You come here on a weekly basis, and this is an incredible place that teaches God's Word. But I know from the leadership on down, it's not just to fill your heads. It's so that when we walk out those back doors, and we go to those places of work, we can put it into practice. Can we lead one person to Christ over the next year? Disciple one person with that same expectation? We've got to ask ourselves that question. We've we got people all around the world who don't know Jesus. 300 tribes still without God's word in their language. A buddy of mine just got back from the country of Turkey. I saw him two weekends ago in Houston. 70 million people in the country of Turkey. And they can identify 3,000 evangelical Christians. 70 million people, 3,000 evangelical Christians. And we could talk about China, we could talk about Africa, and we could talk about the United States. And we have to ask the question, why don't more people know Jesus? And part of the answer has got to be that we don't really believe Scripture. And Jesus said over and over and over again, that you know what, we can check out a tree by its fruit. How's the fruit in your life? The people around you know Jesus because of your life. I'm not talking about high pressure, whatever it is. I'm just talking about live out your life and over the next year, share your faith in your actions, in the way you work, in the way you live. You ask God faithfully, God, give me opportunities to share my faith with one person over the next year. He'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. It's not your job to save them. It's just your job to share. You were created to know him, to believe him. He said, to understand that I am he. That's what God says. I want you to understand, big picture, when you walk with me, that there is nothing else. God says, you know what? It's hard for us to understand because we do everything on a timeline. 
And God says, there was nothing before me, there'll be nothing after me. Man, that's hard for us to understand. There's always something before, and God says, I'm outside of time. I want you to understand that I am He. Always been. But for a lot of people, for a lot of people, life is really just a game, isn't it? Do you guys like games? You like games? This is your moment to interact in church. You like games? I love games. I really do. I love a lot of games. I, I, I chess, checkers. But one of the greatest games has got to be Monopoly, isn't it? Isn't it good? Don't you like Monopoly? Hey, how many of you own Monopoly in your house? All right, good, good. You know, and, and Monopoly is one of those super cool games. And we play it all the time. The only one who won't play it is my wife. She hates Monopoly. And, and you'll, you'll understand in a second. But, you know, Monopoly, you've you got to set it up. And, and you've you got to think about it. And we get it out in our house. I grew up playing it. And, and now, you know, kind of passed on the, the blessing and the curse to my kids. Said, you know what, guys? We've we got to think about this. And we, we get the Monopoly out occasionally. And, you know, you've got to set the board up. Community chess and chance. And, you know, then you've got to make some crucial decisions. Who's going to be the banker? Right? That's a crucial decision. But not just the banker. You've got to think about real estate. And, and it, the same person can't be the banker and real estate because that's a conflict of interest. Right? And so, you know, we kind of settle that and get the real estate going. And, and, and then, you know, you get the dice out. And then you've got some other crucial decisions to make, like, which token am I going to be? Right? And, and, you know, for some of you, you say, oh, it's the car. Every time it's the car. Any car people out there? Hey, you go, you know what, it's the car. For some of you, you say, no, 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 I'm, I'm the ship. Hey, that's me. A couple in here are just mysteries to me. Who would ever want to be the iron? This, this, this represents work to me. I, I do not want to do this. No way. You know, there's, there's some cooler ones here. The hat, the shoe. Here's another one I don't understand. Wheelbarrow. Again, work. I don't want to do that. So let's just say we've made the important decisions. we got the hat and the shoe. Right? And, and then, you know, we, we get the dice going and, and we start to play. And, man, we're into it with my kids. We, you know, we got the chips and the drinks and, you know, we're all set up. And everybody's got a comfortable chair, a little microwave popcorn. And, you know, we roll five. And I'm the dad, so I go first. So one, two, three, four, five. Right? And, and then... The key words, I just landed on reading railroad. Good move. And then the, the key thing, oh, important step. I can't believe I missed this important step. We've got to get some money, right? And, and we get, you know, the hundreds and the fifties and the twenties and the tens. Another crucial decision. Do you stack your money or do you put it under the board? Okay? Now, for some of you, that's an important thing. You know, you... You like to be stackers or else, no, 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 we can't start because, you know, i got to get all my money set up there. And then it's not really in the rules, and believe me, we've checked, but it's, we put 500 in the middle. Because when you get to free parking, then it's there. It's not in the rules, but that's important. And then we start. And, and I'm still going to go with my rule because that was a good one. Land on Reading Railroad, and then those keywords, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. Right? So you put your money down, you get the railroad, and we start flying around the board. And pretty soon people are in different places, and, you know, we all have different strategies. 
for some, it's, you know, New York, Tennessee, and St. James. I love those properties. I want those. Those are good. Uh, my, my youngest son, he wants the, the yellow or the red because it's high rent over there. Hey, good stuff. Ventor, Atlantic, or Marvin. But really, the, the, the king prize on this whole deal really becomes Park Place and Boardwalk. If you get those, you're doing well, right? So we got the property going, and then all of a sudden, someone picks up the dice and says, hold on just a second. It's house time. And we get the houses going, right? You get houses on the board, and then pretty soon someone breaks out a hotel. And then you're, you're sitting pretty at this point. You're just sitting back saying, ah, I can't wait till you land on the board, and then you're going to pay me. And we're rolling. We're having a great time. And all of a sudden, my wife says, hey, you know what, guys? It's, it's dinner time. And, and you're, you're on the, the, the table, and you know, we need to eat, and, and could you just clean it up? We're like, what? <laughs> she says, yeah, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to eat together, you know? That, that thing we do a couple times a day. And we're like, well, we're, we're in the middle of a game here, and... She said, well, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, we'll, we'll do it. And, and so we kind of clean up a little bit, and, and we go to the table, but the game doesn't finish. But we carry it to the table with us. Not, not the actual game, just the attitude of the game. And we sit down, and, you know, we very spiritually hold each other's hand and pray for our meal. And then once we say amen and we begin to, serve each other the food, and you say, hey, would, would you do me a favor and pass the meat? And, and I had you. <laughs> and they pass the meat over there, and, hey, you know, can I have some of the potatoes? Nah, you were cash poor. Saw that. Hey, can I, can I get a little bit to drink? Oh, dude, I had Park Place. Saw you coming around. I, I had a whole plan, and, and pretty soon, you know, we're, we're just going at it around the table. And again, my wife says, Hey, 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 guys, guys, it's just a game. What? It's just a game. Not just a game. Checkers is a game. This is Monopoly. And then she says those words to us. You know what? It's just a game. It's not life. Do you get it? So many of us live just like this. And we have thought to ourselves and we've been convinced by our culture that this is life. And we look around our culture and we look around our society and we say, you know what? How many houses do you have? And how many hotels do you have? And how much cash do you have? And how many good things have happened to you? And try and avoid the bad things, you know, the income tax. Or try, you know, avoid losing the beauty contest and having to pay 15 bucks. And too many of us wrap our lives into this. And God says to us, you know what? You were created to be my witnesses. To know me, to believe me, and to understand that I am He. Nothing before me, nothing after me. Now hear me loud and clear. There's nothing wrong with owning a house or multiple houses. But someday, that trumpet's going to blow. Jesus is going to come back. And He's going to wrap all this up. 
he's going to say, you know what? Game over. Game over. And he's only going to ask us one question. You know what? What did you do with all that I gave you? What did you do with it? I gave you those skills. I gave you those talents. I gave you my son. He died for you. What did you do with all that I gave you? And way too many times we come back to that question, what is life all about? And we interpret that as, you know what, what am I going to do to make a living? Why am I here? And we get so wrapped up in our jobs. We get so wrapped up in playing Monopoly. Can I maybe suggest to you this morning that maybe God doesn't care how you make a living? That question that is so high in our culture and our society, maybe God doesn't care as much as He cares that we be His witnesses. That we know Him, that we believe Him, and that we understand that life is about Him and not about us. And if that takes you into real estate, then go into real estate, be as successful as you can, being His witnesses. If that means you make stuff, or manage stuff, or sell stuff, or fix stuff, I'm not sure it matters. And God says, you know what? I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no Savior. And I think wherever it takes us on a daily basis to make our living, as we are going, make disciples. Walk with God in such a way that you know Him intimately. And share that with the world. Because there are people you see every single day need to know that. There's some fascinating chapters in God's Word, and I love God's Word. At the end of Hebrews chapter 11, there's some verses here that kind of blow my mind. It's been talking about incredible men and women of faith. Not men and women who were perfect. Don't get that wrong. Because everybody in this list failed big time. But we get to the end of the chapter and it says that others, doesn't even mention their name, were tortured, refused to be released. Some faced jeers and flogging. Still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed into. They were put to death. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered around in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. They were commended for their faith, yet none of them received but had been promised. God had planned something better for us. I look at those verses and I say, you know what, there's a lot of things in there I can't relate to. And most of us cannot relate to. We are probably not going to be tortured for our faith. We're probably not going to be sawed in two. We're probably not going to face walking around in sheepskins and goatskins. Maybe jeers. Maybe some of that. I don't know. But too many times we look at God's Word as a history textbook of people that somehow we just can't live like this. And I think God calls us to live like this. To be people of His book. Who don't just know it, but who believe it and understand that there is nothing apart from God. And about the time I asked that question, how did they do it? I look back to verse 13. 
And it says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted, they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Brothers and sisters, this is not our home. It's not. It was never meant to be our home. And we need to ask God to give us a fresh perspective. And say, you know what? Why am I here? Why was I created? And Isaiah, way back in chapter 6, got it. After an encounter with God, where God forgave his sins, touched his life, and Isaiah's response When God said, who will I send? Isaiah said, send me, here am I. And you and I need to continue to have a fresh touch from God every day. To understand that we've been forgiven. And to say, God, give me that fresh perspective today. To believe you enough that people see it in my life. And to understand that there's nothing no other Savior apart from God. Let's pray together. Lord, again, I thank you for the truth of your word. Just before I close us in prayer, I want to challenge you right now between you and God. What has He said to you this morning? What is He calling you to change in your life? Talk to Him right now. Lord, give us that fresh perspective. Give us your eyes to see the things that you see. Give us your ears to hear the things that you hear. Lord, thank you that all that you've given us. Remind us today that all that we have is a blessing from you. It was never meant to be life. So whether we have much or whether we have little, Lord, help us understand because of your word, because of your spirit, why we were created. And Lord, help us to live in such a way that we reflect Christ until the whole world hears. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.